You know, here we are on Volunteer Appreciation Weekend, and I just want to give a shout-out of thanks to all of the volunteers. you, you got to know that I, I pray for the volunteers of our church every weekend. Uh, I think of all of you at our South Naperville campus, and all of you serving at Bolingbrook, and everybody serving at Wheaton and at Hobson. Uh, and you got to know you inspire me. That's not what it's about, but you should know you inspire me. You know, I am one of the many who I'm on the stage and we're recognized for our service. But so many of you are not recognized by anybody. In fact, you serve in the shadows knowing that the audience of one, your Savior, is watching. And you love him. You, you serve because you adore him. And you long for your one life to contribute to his eternal cause, advancing his church in some way. And it's just beautiful. The people of God understanding that they have been filled with the Spirit and they desire to use the Spirit's enabling to contribute is so beautiful. And I just got to say thank you. I imagine the smile of God when he sees his people putting their heart and soul into serving him and his bride. God just beams with, yes, thank you. And so on this weekend, we don't do it enough, but we wanted to say thanks to all of you who serve. And now we are transitioning back into our series called Fearless. We all got fear and we all want to get rid of fear. And today we're specifically talking about the fear of financial ruin. Uh, when it comes to money, there's nothing that can cause us worry sometimes like financial stuff. And so let's talk about it, shall we? And, and to begin our talk on it, I want to show you the switch system of a sump pump. It causes me untold anxiety. Uh, did you know how the switch works in the sump pit? There's a float, and as the water builds up in the pit, the float rises up, 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 and at the top, it clicks on, and that turns the sump pump on. It starts pumping the water out, and as the pit water level goes down, 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 turns it off. And uh, I, I stress out over the turning on and the turning off. I, I, first of all, you should know this about my house. Uh, whoever designed it, they did it brilliantly. The, the yard all slopes towards the house, and so all the rainwater accumulates, and my sump pump... On those springs where there's a lot of rain, like this one, it is running almost nonstop. My, my bed is directly above our, our sump pump, so I hear it click on and off all night. And I'm freaking. You know, when it clicks on, I'm like, it was just on five minutes ago. That poor pump. It's going to die. I know it's going to die. There's no way that a pump can go every five minutes, 24, 7. There's, it's going to die. It's going to die. And then when it clicks off, I worry. Off. Did it click off or did it die? I don't know which it is, but it's not going now, you know. Oh, trying to get a good night of sleep when you're all bound up, you know. And, and you should know that my worry is financially based. Uh, we have a finished basement. And you've heard horror stories. Maybe you've experienced one. Where the basement floods. It becomes a swimming pool. And the carpet is destroyed. And drywall, some of it at least, needs to be torn out. And new padding, new carpet, new drywall, new trim. Big bucks. Bucks that I don't have. 
And so I'm, ah, you know, it's, it's almost like there's a wire. Yeah, so there are two wires actually coming out. One goes to the sump pump to tell it to turn on. My theory on the other one is it goes straight into my head. And every time it clicks, my, the worry wire, you know, sends jolt. And, and I start panicking. And friends, you've all got a worry wire connected to your head. You've got some financial switch, set of circumstances. Maybe for you, it's your house. You know, you've got an older home like me, and we worry about this system or that one going out, and we know, oh, is that going to be expensive when it goes out? Or for you, it's the value of your home. You know, you're watching the value on Zillow, and you're like, oh, it's not going the right way. For others, the financial concern is your job. You know, will I keep my job? Will I lose my job? I haven't gotten a raise in a hundred years. What's wrong with my job? Or you worry about your investments, you know, your stocks, and you know that political changes lead to economic changes, which could cause your whole portfolio to drop like a rock. Some worry about retirement, you know, do we have enough? And what happens if there's a problem in retirement? People worry about their children. Will I be able to provide for my children? Will my children be able to provide for themselves when they get older? Will they make enough money? Will they manage it well? Will they be a financial disaster? Will my grandchildren be a financial disaster? Sometimes we worry about unplanned expenses like medical bills. And we've heard horror stories of various illnesses that have been catastrophically expensive. Or we worry about lawsuits and litigation fees that could just train wreck us. Uh, Everybody's got a switch. Uh, We all do. One way or another. that. Thanks, Jeff, for pointing that out. My goal is not to, to make you worry, but to connect you with your worry for the purpose of removing that worry. Because Jesus wants us to remove the financial worry. I love our Savior. He is so connected to where real people are at. Jesus is not just about saving our soul for eternity, but guiding us in the present to do life best. And and he knows financial concern is a big part of it. So he speaks to that in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The section of scripture is one that you need to underline, circle, treasure, because it's guidance you can't live without. Matthew 6, starting in verse 26. Jesus says, uh, starting in verse 25, excuse me. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. He's commanding us not to worry. And you see the context. It's financial. It's provision. You know, food and shelter are kind of the basic essential needs of humanity. When I say shelter, you say it's about clothes. Clothes protect from exposure. In our case, our exposure we worry most about is homes. But the key there is that Jesus is speaking about those basic needs that we have. And he's saying, people, don't worry. Isn't that beautiful? In fact, three times in the verses we're about to study, Jesus says it again and again. Stop worrying about finances. One of the things I love about direct commands like that is that in the command is a promise that you don't have to live this way. Do you realize he wouldn't tell us not to do that if there wasn't a way not to do that? And so in this very command, Jesus is saying, listen, people, there's a better way to live. 
Jesus says, let me show you how to stop the worry. Let me show you, you know, this, this panic that's coming regularly. Jesus says, let's cut the wire and let's get rid of this. You don't want to live that way. And so let's learn from Christ how we can be free from financial worry, shall we? What we're going to see as we move on is that Jesus says, you need to better understand four things. Let me show you what they are. Christ says, you, you need to better understand the very uh, nature of who God is. You need to better understand people, that's us. You need to better understand worry itself. And you need to better understand stuff. That's the monetary stuff we're always worrying about. If we better understand those four things and internalize what we learn from Christ, that will be the key to being freed from worry, having peace, and going to bed at night with a smile on your face saying, I worry no more. That's what we want. And so let's learn, shall we? We start with God. What do we need to learn about God? We need to learn the heart of God. And Jesus reveals it in the next verse. Verse 26 Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Did you know that we can learn about the heart of God through the created world? Just as you can look at the art and know a little bit of the heart of the artist behind, so God's nature is revealed in creation. And Jesus calls us to look at the birds. He's saying birds are amazing. I mean, they're swooping around. They're singing songs. They're loving life. They all find food to eat. And Jesus is saying, do you know why they find food to eat? Because God made it so. God made the world to work so that there would be food there for birds to find. The way Jesus describes it, God is the one who's feeding those birds. God's disposition to provide for his created world is evidenced in the birds. And Jesus, in a sense, is saying, listen, if God's inclined to provide and feed the birds, how much more is he inclined to feed and provide for you? Um, Not only the birds, Jesus then turns to flowers. Look here at 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon, Solomon was the richest of the kings of Israel, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of them. This is a good season to look at flowers, is it not? We got tulips blossoming right now. Maybe you need to pause and reflect on flowers. They're doing great. And who provided for them to thrive like that? You say, well, the gardener is the one who planted the bulb in the ground. All right, a little little credit to the gardener. But gardener, did you make the tulip beautiful? Did you make the flower vibrant in color? No, God did that. Did you make the flower symmetrical and perfect in form? You ever inspected the beauty of a flower and look at how it's like a sculpture? Who made it so? God did. And he's preaching about himself through the flowers, saying, look it, I am inclined to help my created uh, organisms thrive. God says, this is my disposition. I, I, I like to help. 
I'd like to provide, in fact, one of the Old Testament names of God is Jehovah Jireh, which means God my provider. At the very core of who God is, he likes to get involved and work in the circumstances of your life and mine and make sure we're provided for. Thomas Jefferson didn't know this of the heart of God. He believed in God. Thomas Jefferson did, but he was a deist, which means he thought that God made us and made us good, but then God was off to more important things and just kind of left us to fend for ourselves. Thomas Jefferson was wrong. If he studied the teaching of Jesus on the heart of the Father, he would find that, no, our God is not one who takes off, but he's one who stays involved in your life, working in the circumstance of your life to provide for your needs. Maybe I should elaborate on that point. Provide for your needs. Did I say provide all your wants? That's one of the key differences. You know, we're like, oh, Jehovah Jireh, Lord, provide everything I've dreamed of. No, 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 no. When we look at the passage, Jesus is teaching about basic needs like shelter, uh, protection from the elements, and food, protection from starvation. And the Lord, here, I'll say it this way. God's provision is expressed in this. God promises to provide all you need to carry out his will for your life. God promises to provide all you need to carry out his will. Not your will for your life, but carry out his will for your life. He says, you'll have it all. And friends, we can relax knowing that our God is one who gets involved and loves to provide. You know, going back to my uh, sump pump, I've been really stressing out, trying not to. I'm trying to say, God, Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. Click, uh, Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. And then my sump pump broke this spring. I'm like, God, I've been, you know, counting on you to not let me experience financial disaster, and my sump pump died. Now, thankfully, I, I knew I had this backup system that I didn't really understand or even believe that it would work fully. It's a water-powered backup. You know, when the power goes down, you still have city water pressure. Somehow this system uh, turns water pressure into a suction that pumps it out. That system kicked on, but that system was failing too. It was pouring water out on the side of my house, and I had a lake. It's all the water out of the, the some pit, but also the water it's using, it's got double water now. And so I just had a lake next to my house, and I'm freaking out. The water in the pit had risen to the top. It hadn't flooded yet, but it was right there. I'm out on the side of my house in the rain. I'm wrapping duct tape. Or, you know, great solution, huh? Duct tape trying to stop this leak, you know, that's splurting over. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I'm supposed to rest trusting your involvement. Well, how do I? And all of a sudden, a neighbor walks up. Says, Jeff, do you have a problem? Uh, you're pretty bright. Matter of fact, I do. And he says, uh, I know a thing or two about some pumps. Can I help? Sure. And so he comes down with the tape, you know, and he helps me put a Band-Aid solution on this matter. And he says, now we got to get to the home improvement store as quick as possible. So we jump in the car, drive to Menards. They had... Uh, must have been like eight sump pumps, you know, from the cheapest to the most uh, powerful. And I discovered then that I had the cheapest that broke. I went to the other extreme. My new sump pump has 
three times the horsepower of my old. It blasts water out. It goes like the next neighborhood, you know. It's awesome. <laughs> he helped me fix the problem, and it's just working brilliantly. And I put my bed, I had on the pillow to go to bed that night. And I'm like, Lord, uh, you didn't save the day in the way I thought you were, or the way that I expected, but you did save the day. Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider, showed up in the form of my neighbor. Now, some of you are like, oh, so you really think God sent your neighbor? Yep, I am convinced that my neighbor's assistance in that hour of trial was orchestrated by the hand of God and that his inclination to help his children was on display in that moment. And friends, if you have eyes to see, if you're trusting in him, walking with him, and eyes to see, he'll do the same for you. It may not be the involvement that you expected or hoped, but Every one of us has stories to tell if we've been walking with the Lord of God providing in creative and beautiful ways. Why? It's who he is. He is Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. It's what he does. And that's the first lesson that we must learn. And that is the heart of God. Let's go back to our outline here. We've we've learned the heart of God. Now let's talk more about the value of people. And by people, I mean you. You don't understand, and I don't understand, how immensely precious we are in the eyes of God. If we understood, we wouldn't worry. Our worry is proof that we don't understand how precious we are. Our worry is proof we have bad theology. We're missing the point. As we grow to understand who we really are to God, it will chase worry away. You say, where does Jesus talk about our value? Well, he actually did in the birds analogy. I just didn't get that far. I stopped reading, but I'll continue now. Remember verse 26? He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he adds this line, are you not much more valuable than they? Birds are awesome. God loves the birds. But the Lord says, you got to understand, his love for birds is nothing compared to his love for you. Humanity rises to the pinnacle of God's created order. God adores human beings above all else. And why is that? Well, a number of reasons. For one, he created us in his image. You know, the rest of creation doesn't reflect his image in the way humanity does. We have free will, and we have the capacity to worship him. We're just unique, and as those who reflect God's own nature, he adores us more than we've ever dreamed. And uh, it's not just the birds that point to our unique value, the flowers. Remember, the Lord had spoken of his great love for us, his commitment to provide as displayed in the flowers, And then he goes on in verse 30, he says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's gone, thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? In other words, God adores the flowers. That's evident by their beauty. But flowers don't last, do they? In fact, enjoy them while they're out right now because as we know, many of them, the petals fall off soon and their their beauty is fading. Humanity, on the other hand, lasts forever. 
We are eternal beings. We will, if we're reconciled through Christ, we will last forever in heaven with God. And it's one of the reasons he values us so, is he says, you know, the rest of creation is here and then gone. You are the ones who will live with me forever, God says. Friends, if we grow to understand how much God loves us, we'll be like, you know what? Uh, I just, I'm not worried. Why are you not worried? Well, you don't know who I am. You know, I'm like the apple of his eye. He's like whooped in love with me, and I just know he's going to be there for me. Wow, why, why do you think you're so special? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's just the Bible tells me that he adores me. I saw this illustrated in a friend of mine's story. A friend and I were together, and he was telling me again the turning point in his life, really. And he says, Jeff, it was back in college. I was studying at the University of Illinois, and he said, I was a train wreck. He said, I was partying and drinking too much. And as a result, my grades were just tanking. My relationships were a mess. He goes, on this particular day, in the middle of the day, I'm in my dorm bawling, feeling so empty, all my friends seemingly deserting me in my hour of need. And he said, with my life imploding, I reached for the phone and I called my dad. Uh, he goes, as I was dialing, I felt, what are you doing? Your dad's too busy for you. He's, he was the CEO of this huge company. It's the middle of the day. He's clearly wrapped up in something important. Why are you calling your dad? And he goes, I got my dad's assistant. And I asked her, I was hoping to speak with my father. Is he available? And the assistant said, my dad told me to get him for you anytime you call. And the assistant went in, and apparently he was wrapped up in a big meeting with top executives. But she said, uh, your son is on the phone. You told me to interrupt. And this dad said, sorry, everybody. Uh, this meeting's going to need to pause. I have a call to take. And went and talked to his son. And the son was like, dad, my life's a disaster. And he started sharing his heart. And the dad said, son, uh, you're three hours away. I will be at your dorm in three hours. I'm taking you to dinner. And he went back into the boardroom and he met with the executives. He said, sorry, folks, this meeting is going to end now. I have a personal matter to attend to. Packed up his briefcase, got in the car, drove three hours to have dinner with his son, a talk that turned his son's life trajectory. Three hours back home late that night. And my friend said, I discovered that night that my dad loved me. He goes, I, I, I knew he loved me but he loves me. You know, that, that's how it is with God. Some of you are like, I, could, I should call the Father in heaven, but he's like attending to responsible people who haven't made a train wreck of their lives. You know, I don't deserve his attention or affection. And we're hesitant. Imagine him too busy. Friends, call him. He loves you wildly. And we'll put whatever he's doing. You know, he's actually able to focus on all things at the same time. But using our perspective, he'll drop what he's doing for you. Because he loves you. He says, I'll be there. I'm in this with you. And we, we hang up the phone in prayer and we say, wow, wow. I knew he loved me, but he loves me. The more we grow to understand our value in the heart of God the more we'll say, what am I worrying about? I'm his pride and joy. I'm the apple of his eye. 
He values me beyond what my brain can even comprehend. I'm not alone. My heavenly Father is right there in this with me. So, what are we learning? We're learning about the heart of God. He has a disposition to provide. It's what he does. He's Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. The value of people. We are so tremendously precious to him. If we realized that we wouldn't doubt his provision. And how about the folly of worry? This is where Jesus just gets down to earth. Just common sense reason. He's like, come on, think about it. People worry's dumb. Well, he doesn't say it in those words, but that's really what he's getting at. Let me show you. Uh, verse 27. Jesus says, can anyone, any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Essentially, he's saying, so how's that worrying going for you? That help? Things better because you're worried? No. Christ is pointing to the fact that sometimes things are beyond our control. And worrying about it, sometimes it makes us think that somehow we're demonstrating that we're still in control. No, we're not. You're, you can't. Some things you can't control. Like if you're all freaked out about getting fired, you know, do your best at work. And then realize, if I get fired, I get fired. But worrying is not going to increase the likelihood of me keeping my job. And sometimes just realizing that it doesn't help can help you just discard worry and say, why am I doing that? What a colossal waste of energy. It doesn't do any practical good. That's part of the folly of worry. But here's another one, another verse of just down-to-earth wisdom. Verse 34, Jesus said, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. That is, each day has got enough trouble of its own. Isn't that great? Jesus is saying, not only does worry not help, worry hurts. Worry about tomorrow messes up today. (laughs) You know, each day is hard. Jesus goes, yeah, hard things are coming. But if you get preoccupied about the challenges of the future, you will miss out on fully living today. Each day has both challenges and beauty, glory. And God says, live fully in the present. Enjoy the beauty of today. Don't let your concerns about tomorrow distract you from the good things of today. Uh, In fact, I saw this evidenced so well in a text we received from my wife's cousin. He, uh, this week, sent out a widespread text to the whole extended family. And it's a tragic story in that he is in his mid-30s and he has cancer terminal cancer. And he said in this text, he said, well, it was three years ago today that I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he says, I'm not supposed to be alive, but here I am. He said, and I'm here to tell you this last year was the best year of my life. He said, the doctors now give me a one in 10 chance of living another year. He said, so Take it from someone who has a unique perspective on the value of a day. He said, live each day as a gift from God. Live it to the full. Uh, What brilliant biblical perspective. Why You should know that this cousin is just on fire spiritually. He had been wandering from the Lord, and cancer brought him back in a hurry. 
in this last year as he's living each day? Is he preoccupied with death? No, he knows death is coming for him sooner than most. But I'm not going to let my concern about that transition impede me from living this day fully as a gift from God. He's living out that perspective in glorious fashion, and we should too. Are there hardships ahead? Yeah, for all of us there is. But God will give us the grace to meet the trial of tomorrow. He'll give that grace tomorrow. He's not going to give that grace today. He doesn't give it ahead of time. And so enjoy this day and trust that the the grace to face the hardship of tomorrow will come tomorrow. Good, practical wisdom. Worry, Jesus says. It's foolish. It doesn't help. It only hurts. It distracts you from living fully in the present. So as we go to our outline, we see we're learning the heart of God, the value of people, the folly of worry, and lastly, the insignificance of stuff. Stuff, this material possessions and money that we're so preoccupied with. Jesus says, come on! You're better than being all wrapped up in something as lowly as material stuff, are you not? And he teaches that brilliantly in verses 31 to 33. He says, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Oh no, what should we wear? He says, the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Do you understand what he's saying there? Um, The pagans, that, that are people who are far from God, people who don't have a spiritual perspective. People don't know that God loves them and that Christ died for them and that God's building a beautiful life. They think that material possessions are all that there is. And as a result, they run after these material things. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you understand why, you know, because they don't know there's anything better. They think that's the point of life. And so they're all consumed with accumulation. Jesus said, you on the other hand, You should seek first his kingdom. You should seek first his righteousness. And then all those things that you're worrying about, the Lord will provide those. But those things aren't even your focus. Your focus is on that which is eternal. When it means seek first his kingdom, God's got a a kingdom, a, a team, a cause. He's advancing his purposes on this earth. And we can devote our lives to contributing to the advance of his eternal cause. When we seek to befriend people far from God and lead them to a new life with the Lord, that's contributing to the advance of his cause. When we seek to build the health and strength of his church, that's advancing his cause. And certain people realize, you know what, I'm not real interested in just focusing and obsessing with the accumulation of things that will pass away. I want to advance. I want to see my one life connected to God's eternal kingdom. That's what I'm obsessed with. And when it says, seek first his righteousness, what that means is that's the character of Jesus. That's his righteousness, which can increasingly reflect, be reflected in our lives. The Bible talks about sanctification. Sanctification is this journey of getting it, 
of understanding what life's all about, of living differently as he leads and empowers you to reflect the beauty of his very life. And you're like, what am I interested in? Collecting more stuff that's all going to burn or seeing my one life directed to the advance of his eternal cause becoming beautiful as Jesus leads and empowers me to reflect his own. That's what I'm obsessed with. And as we obsess about that, all that material stuff we were worrying about, he'll take care of that. What a beautiful vision. You know who's living this uh, or who lived it so well? Was uh, the parents of my mother-in-law actually called my mother-in-law yesterday. I wanted to make sure I had the details right. But she tells a beautiful picture of how she grew up. Here, here are her parents. Uh, their, their names were Stavros and Rose Rosopoulos, Greek immigrants. They didn't know Jesus when they were in Greece, but when they came to Chicago, they heard the gospel, they found Christ, and they fell wildly in love with their maker and king, lived their lives devoted to Christ. Uh, Stavros was a janitor at the Curtis Candy Company his entire career. Did not make much money at all. In fact, he was paid in Fridays on, in cash, in an envelope, cash. And my mother-in-law says, I remember my dad coming home to our tiny little apartment. The whole family was packed into this little apartment. And he'd put the money down on this little table, spread it out. And every Friday, the kids would gather, and he'd say, all right, figure out 10%. They, uh, the kids would calculate the money, calculate 10%, put 10% in an envelope. They were passionate about supporting God's eternal cause, the principle found in Scripture, of tithing to their church. And then they would put 10% in, or I'm sorry, the amount that rent would be, which this little apartment was a big part of their uh, weekly earnings. And then they had an envelope for groceries. My mother-in-law said very simple food because there wasn't much money in that envelope. A little bit for utilities. And, And she said, I didn't, she goes, I never realized how poor we were. She goes, thinking back, I look back now and I realize we never could afford a car. So they never owned an automobile. They had to use public transportation because they couldn't afford a car. My mother-in-law said, I never had clothes bought at a store. They couldn't afford clothes. So uh, Rose, mom, sewed and made all my mother-in-law's clothing. She goes, I didn't know how poor we were. I never felt poor. She said, we always had enough. She said, our focus was Jesus. She said, we went to church twice a week, uh, taking public transportation to this little Greek evangelical church. And she said, we were devoted to bringing the gospel to Greek people in Chicago, longing to see our lives help this little church thrive and bring the good news. We were mesmerized with what we had in Christ. We focused on his kingdom and his righteousness. And you know what? He took care of our needs. We never went without. What a beautiful perspective. That's what Jesus is talking about. Isn't it ironic that people who had much less than we have didn't worry about finances? And we who have much more than they are so worried about finances. May God guide us away 
from our addiction to stuff. May God guide us into this focus on what's eternal and this trust in the Jehovah Jireh providing heart of God and this knowledge of we're so precious to him. And may we sleep well at night, no longer worrying like we once did about financial concerns, knowing he's going to be there. He'll take care of us. May we live this vision Jesus so inspiringly lays out. In fact, let's pray. Lord, I feel the need to repent. My anxiety insults you as if you really aren't that good or you really don't love me that much. And so, God, I think I put voice to what many are thinking. Forgive us for our insulting worry and show us how to simplify and focus on the eternal, what matters. Help us know that you've got us, that we're your kids. And help us learn to rest, knowing that you provide everything we need to carry out your will for our lives. And God, bring a freedom from worry. Please, God, give us a joy that marks a heart that rests in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to have a heart that rests in the faithfulness of God. In fact, would you stand? Let's celebrate together our faithful Lord.